Welcome to the audio podcast of Pastor Jerry Loudermilk. We're glad you stopped by today. Be blessed as you receive from God's Word. Acts chapter 7. I want to preach this morning a message called a generational. God described himself all throughout the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament, and we'll read here in the New Testament, but he described himself, he said this, as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a generational God. He wasn't just the God of one generation. He's the God of all generations. And I think this is a fitting, it's a fitting message for what we've experienced this morning. We sing hymns that really, that most of you that are over 50, myself and you included, will remember very much from our childhood and that a lot of the kids who were on stage, they sang along with us and they, they did a good job, I think, but they probably haven't heard some of those songs before. And I, I want us to understand that God is a generational God. I, I feel the anointing now. I'm not nervous anymore. God is a generational God and he, uh, he wants us to share him with the generations that follow us. He wants us to teach our children of him. He wants us to, to experience him no matter what generation we're part of. That's what I'm going to preach about this morning and I think I have some things that will um, maybe stir you, some things that might challenge you a little bit. But my heart here this morning is to get us all focused on this one God that we serve and what he has in plan, planned for the body of Christ and for this church and then pursue him with all of our heart. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your word this morning. I thank you, God, for the, for the time we've spent together in praise. We thank you, Lord, for these sweet hymns, Lord, that, that just tell about your goodness and your mercy and your grace and what a wonderful time it will be when we get there to be with you. And, and Lord, we, we're appreciative of all that and of our heritage and of our history, and we're, we're thankful for that, God. But we, we know that you're right now, God, too. And God, we just pray that we won't think that one generation or the other has the market cornered on, on knowing you. God, it's not just the old generation, the older generation that has experienced you. And it's not just the younger generation that is experiencing you today. We all, Lord, are invited into the body of Christ and into your presence. And so, Father, I pray that as we, as we partake of your word this morning, you'd open our hearts and our minds, God, to what you would speak to us. And, and help us, Lord, to hear from you from heaven. Be glorified among us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read and then you can be seated. Acts chapter 7, I'm going to read verse 30 down through 34. I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you're a guest with us today, thank you for being here. We're so glad to have you. Acts chapter 7, verse 30 through 34, New King James Version says, And when 40 years had passed, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is speaking of, of Moses. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and he drew near to observe the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. And then the Lord said to him, Take the sandals off your feet, for the place you stand is holy ground. I have seen the oppression of my people who, were, who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groanings, and I have come down to deliver them 
And now come and I will send you to Egypt. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. I want to point out some things in this scripture and then I'm going to go on. God calls himself the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. We usually shorten it just a little bit. We'll squeeze it all together. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's okay because it's true. But God, when he said it, he revealed himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You say, what does, the, what does it matter? What's the difference? I want you to understand that it's not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that was spread across the years and Abraham had the relationship with God and Isaac and Jacob followed and perhaps they believed in the same God. No, this was a personal relationship. God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So what God is saying here is that I'm not just the God of Abraham and he's passed his faith down to his kids. I am the God of Abraham. I have covenant with him. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac and I'm the God of Jacob. I know all of them personally. They're not just following because someone someone raised them in the church house. They're not just part of Abundant Life Tabernacle because they were raised in Abundant Life Tabernacle. They're not just Baptist. They're not just Pentecostal. They're not just Presbyterian because they were raised Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian. They know me. I am their God. And the word says if we'll be his people, he'll be our God. And God knows you and he knows who you are. He knows what you're about. And he desires personal relationship with you. But not just you, your children and your children's children. Amen. I'm already feeling a whole lot better than you all are. So y'all just join me at any time and, and praise God or amen and it'll, it'll just help me. The Lord says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then in just, a, just a, a moment, just shortly down here, he says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. Say that with me, my people. I've seen the oppression of my people. I want you to understand that God called Israel his people. God also calls the church his people. You're his people. He has seen what you're going through. He's aware of where you're at. He knows what our lives are like. He knows if you're going through struggles. He knows if you're going through hardships. He knows if you're in a place of financial need. He knows if you're in the need of healing. He knows what you're going through and he is looking at you not just as a church member, not just as a citizen of the United States, not just as any of these things that we might classify ourselves. He's looking at you as his people. Amen? We're sons and daughters of God. We're his people. My people, my people are people that I have associated with, people that I have a relationship with. You all are my people. My people are also in Kentucky. I spent the week with my people in Kentucky. Do you all use that term here any? We do. I'm going to go see my people. Nowadays they say my peeps. But you know what I'm talking about. God has said here, I have seen the affliction of my people. Or I have seen the oppression in the New King James of my people. I want us to understand that God is a God of relationship and he's a God of generational relationship. I want to talk about that this morning. God calls himself the, himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then he says he has seen the oppression of his people. God is, he's using this terminology to declare relationship with the fathers, the ancestors of Moses. I want us to consider this for just a minute. I'm, I'm just going to take my time. I'm going to, I'm going to preach. I'm going to teach. I'm just going to work my way through this. What, what God is saying here to Moses, do you realize that Moses was just a baby? Moses was just a baby when he was placed in that little thing made of bulrushes and he was sent out into the water and he was found by a princess, the daughter of the king of Pharaoh, the daughter of the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. He was just a baby. He didn't have the teaching, the training, the knowledge of the other kids of his generation. Many of them who were just a little older lived. Those who were younger or his age, they were killed because of the threat that Pharaoh saw of the people expanding and growing. But he didn't have the benefit of really understanding all of his heritage. He wasn't taught about who his God was. He wasn't taught about a lot of these things. So God came to him and he revealed himself to him in this way. And I want us to understand that what God, what God wants to do, what the Lord wants to do to us is reveal himself not only as a God that we can trust, but as a God that we can, we can have confidence in to tell our children about. I did some genealogy research this week. My dad, we know a lot about his family tree. We have some relatives that came over to the United States even back as early as the late 1600s. No, no I'm sorry, the late 1700s. And so we have, we have uh, no, actually, maybe it was early 1700s. So anyway, 17-something. We have family that came over then, and it wasn't the Loudermilks until, uh, the, the Loudermilks didn't come over until 1800s, but we've been here a long time. But we didn't know anything so much at all about my mom's family, the Seilers, which they're German, that's a German name as well. And, and so we didn't really know anything. I began to do some research, and I didn't find anything yet about the Seilers, but I, I did find some about the Cars, which is my grandma's maiden name. And everywhere I look in my family, Loudermilks, Seilers, Cars, everywhere I look, I find preachers. Preacher after preacher after preacher after preacher. I want you to understand, I believe God's speaking to me about this as well, and he wants, to, he wants you to hear this. God is a God of generational blessings. We always hear about generational curses, and, and I understand what that's about. And, and I thank God that the blessing is greater than the curse. Amen? But my family and many of my family have been in relationship with God, this same God that I'm serving for generation after generation. Some of them were Baptist preachers. Some of them were Pentecostal preachers. Some of them were, who knows, congregational maybe, some of these other names. But I want you to understand that we've all served the same God and He's still the same God. The same God that was the God yesterday is the God that's the God today. And He's God that will be God tomorrow and forever. And the same God that my my forefathers served and worshipped is the God that I have taught my children about. God's a generational God. And he describes himself this way to Moses showing his relationship to the ancestors of Moses. There's also very clearly a reference to the covenant, to covenant, because God made covenant with Abram. Well, his name was still Abram, actually, and, and he called him Abraham. Abraham. 
And so God made a covenant with Abram. And he called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. He called him out to a land of Canaan and told him that he would establish a covenant with him. And the word tells us in generation, uh, Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 through 3 that God created a covenant with Abraham. And we see that then he reaffirms that same covenant with Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis chapter 21. And it goes on about it in chapter 26. And we see he reaffirms again with Jacob the same covenant in Genesis chapter 28. So I want you to notice there that there's some things happening. God that made a covenant with Abraham, he reminded each generation of the covenant that he had. He reminded them of their relationship and he reminded them of their covenant. A covenant is far greater than a contract. A contract is one-sided. It's actually, it's not. It's both-sided. But what it is, is it is it loses its power if someone breaks it. I just got to take a minute here. It's powerless if someone breaks it. It's a breach. You heard this. It's a breach of contract. So if someone breaks it, you fall out of relationship. I want you to understand, I'm not preaching that you can sin and live any way, but I want you to understand that God loves us so much. He loves us so much that even though Abraham failed, Abraham lied about who his wife was, all these other things, that God had a, he had a covenant with Abraham that would go beyond what Abraham was able to keep. And if we read and if we look at what God did, God didn't really make the covenant with Abraham. He included Abraham in the covenant. He made a covenant with himself. And that's exactly what God did through Jesus Christ at the cross. He has made a covenant. God has made a covenant with himself. And we have been brought into it. We are grafted into the vine. Thank God that I'm not just in a contract and every time I slip and do something wrong, I'm on my way to hell. Thank God that by the grace of God, I have the promise of eternal life. Now, I want you to understand I'm not preaching that you can live any way. That's not at all what I believe. I believe we have to come out from among the world. We have to be a separate people. The Lord says if we will, He'll receive us. But I want you to know that I am not perfect and I make mistakes. And when I make mistakes, God is not looking to beat me over the head. God is looking to, He's looking to forgive. He's looking to show mercy. His mercy is new every morning. He's looking to redeem me. He's looking to redeem my family. God is a good God. So God reveals relationship, but He also reveals generational relationship God desires that we pass our faith down to our children but not just a stale knowledge of him God desires that we pass down passionate relationship with him back in uh, maybe the 80s there was a country song says I come from a long line of love some of you might remember it might not country song that said I come from a long line of love when things get hard we don't give up the song was about a young man that had fallen in love with a girl and he pointed to his parents and his grandparents as an example they had stuck it out they stayed together they didn't divorce they they they, they stayed together and he's telling this young lady I come from a long line of love I, I'm not going to leave you I'm going to hang in there with you I want you to understand that we have, been, we have been brought into a long line of love. And when I say that, it's far longer than, than that country song's talking about. I want you to know that from the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was a lamb that was slain for the foundation, at the foundation of the world so that we might be redeemed. He came and he, he gave his life 
And even, even it was already planned and completed and done in the mind of God even before it happened because God wanted to redeem us to himself and he knew that we would fall. God loves us so much that he gave his only son to die for us and Jesus himself put on the flesh of a man and died for you and for me because he loves us and that relationship that he created, that he began even before the world began, it's ongoing and he wants you to be in it and he wants your children and your children's children to be in this relationship. It's all up to you. It's all up to me. I don't have to accept it. I don't have to believe it. I don't have to accept it. But just because I don't believe it, or just because I don't accept it, doesn't make it any less true. God is who He said He is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the only way. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And the Word of God tells me that if I will put my trust in Him, I will never be ashamed. And I'll tell you, I have placed my trust in Jesus Christ. My hope is in Him. And because Jesus lives, I will live also. And because He raised from the dead, I will also rise again. This is a generational relationship it's not just for me it wasn't just for my daddy it wasn't just for my grandpa it wasn't just for my great 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 it's for them but it was also for me and God doesn't want you to go through this life and not bring your children into this relationship but let me also add he wants you to tell them about the covenant that they can have with him through Jesus Christ let me read a scripture for you. Psalm chapter 40, uh, I'm sorry, 145 through uh, 1 through 13. And if this is the New Living Translation I'm reading from. But Psalm 145, 1 through 13. I will exalt you, my God and my King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all of his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about your majesty and the glory of your reign, for your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and you rule throughout all generations. Can you say amen? amen? He's a generational God to correctly pass the truth on from one generation to the next, though we have to have a conduit. We have to have some way of passing the truth on. I want, I want to share this, and this maybe seems like it takes a little bit of a different turn in this message, but it really doesn't. We have to have a conduit. We have to bring our children up in the fear and the admonition of God if we want our children to carry the gospel to the next generation. The church in America, 
is in trouble right now because we failed to pass our faith on in a substantial way to the previous generation, to my generation. The church has failed in my generation to pass our faith on to many of our, of our, of our kids. And, and it's happening, and it's, it's happening repeatedly. And a generation ago, if the faith had been fa- passed on properly from that generation to my generation, my generation then had passed it on properly to this next generation, we would not see some of the things in America that we're seeing. We also would not see that the church houses are so often nearly empty, we would also not see that people would believe the lies of the devil and bring it into the house of God and say that it's okay. We also would not see that the world wouldn't know who Jesus is and that we're in a post-Christian culture in America. We would see the church on fire. We would see the, the altars full of people repenting. We would see the house of God be a place of refuge. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you we can see that once again if we will learn that our God is a generational God. And the relationship of our fathers is available to us. And the relationship that we have, our children can have it as well. So our children are the conduit that carry on this gospel. This group right over here, this whole area right over here, many of them are early 20s or younger. We've got a group of kids right back here. We've got some scattered throughout this congregation. I want you to understand, these are precious. What we're seeing here, these are precious. I'm not diminishing how precious that white hair is that I see in the congregation either. I'm not diminishing it. But the next generation, this younger generation, these preteens and these children and these teenagers and these young adults, they are the conduit that will carry the gospel from our generation to the next generation. I told you how a tomato seed, talking about faith, how a tomato seed, it's the product of a past harvest. And it's the promise of a future harvest. And that's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. But I want you to understand that our children are that same conduit. They're very similar to that. Our young people need to know the truth of God's word. They need to see parents who will pursue God. They need to see us on our faces before the Lord. They need to see us reading his word. And I'm not opposed to television. I watch television, but I want you to know that it does them no good for them to see us sitting and watching the news or watching our favorite television program. It sees, if they see us praying and teaching, and reading and understanding and pursuing God we're going to start a fire in them that can carry for generations and I don't want to let my children and my grandchildren who are yet to come down by not telling them of the goodness of God and of the covenant that I have with him through Jesus Christ now spiritually speaking in the church we have the same responsibility we have Natural sons and daughters, and I pointed them out here this morning. They're precious, but we also have a responsibility, responsibility to spiritual sons and daughters. I told you the Lord is really requiring of me. He's given me assignment. He's given, given me an assignment, and it's to reform discipleship. I honestly believe, I believe the Lord has given me that assignment for the rest of my life. I don't know that it will always be here in this church. 
Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But I believe that God has given me the assignment of trying to reform discipleship. And here's what we have to understand. The Word of God tells us that we should teach our children when we talk to them, when we walk with them. Let me read this for you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel. Let me say it this way. Hear, church. The Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. Actually, it says all your strength. Verse 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and in your gates. Notice verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house. You shall walk or when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. The Word of God is telling us how to raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. The Word of the Lord also tells us that if we raise a child in the way it should go when it's old, it will not depart from it. And we always take that literally in the natural sense, the physical sense, and I believe that it's true. We have to do these things. We should talk about it's actually the responsibility of the parent to teach the children about the Lord at home in their house and the the church just confirms that and backs it up and teaches them more and continues but it's the responsibility of us as Christians to teach our children the ways of God I want us to understand though that in the house of God our spiritual sons and daughters need the same attention if we're not careful we will see someone who confesses faith in Jesus Christ We'll call them a new Christian and we'll make a note and we'll, we'll have some number that we have seen come to the Lord in maybe the year 2017 and we'll look at that number and we'll think something great has happened and, and I'm not diminishing the fact that they have believed on Jesus Christ but so many people in the body of Christ today are left in the birthing chambers. They're left there. They're brought in to the place where they, where they are born and, and they believed upon Jesus Christ but they're left laying there. They're not fed. They're not nurtured. They're not discipled. They're not cared for. And what we find is that they die spiritually. It's the responsibility of the church to nurture them, to care for them like a mother would. It's the responsibility of the church to teach them the ways of God. It's the responsibility of the church to raise up the conduit, the next generation that will carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, I believe it was. He said, to find faithful men who you can teach what I have taught you so that they might teach others. That's a paraphrase. We have to do this not only in our families with our own natural children and grandchildren, but we also need to do it in the house of God. That's what discipleship is about. That's what God has called us to do. If we're not pouring our lives into someone and teaching them how to follow the Lord to a greater extent, we are contributing to the statistic that says only 2% of those who call themselves Christians ever share the gospel with anybody else. And we're contributing to the statistic that says that 80% of those who will claim faith in Jesus Christ will not even be in church a year from today. 
We're not called to that. We're called to relationship with a generational God. We're called to, to speak into the lives of others. We're called to, I'll say it this way, we're called to prophesy good things over our children and our grandchildren. We're supposed to call what the Word of God, use the Word of God, what it says about them, we should be saying about them. If we're saying you're nothing but a loser, you're never going to amount to anything, you're the bad crowd, you're not just running with the bad crowd, you are the bad crowd, all we're doing is we're sending them further down the same path that they're on. But if we begin to say, no, I don't believe that about you, I believe that God has called you, you are the anointed of God, you are the the appointed of God, God loves you, you are special in His eyes, you're not going to live that way, He's called you to more. If we'll begin to say that over our children, God will begin to move in their lives And they will be stirred. And I'm telling you that this God that's my God today will be their God tomorrow when I'm gone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe the same is expected from us as the church towards spiritual sons and daughters. That is expected of us as parents and grandparents in the natural I could go on there, but I'm going to move forward. God uses this title, as I said, all through His Word. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 16, He uses that term. 15 and 16, I believe. He uses that term, and He calls Himself by this title. But in this passage, He's not just, he's not just saying... He's not just talking about covenant. He's distinguishing himself from the other gods around them. He's distinguishing himself from the gods of the Egyptians and the gods of the Canaanites. He's saying that he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But he is, he's referring to himself in this way, in this relational way, in this generational way. And, and if you read that scripture, and I'm not going to read it right now, but he's calling himself by this title. He's basically saying that these other gods are not your God. I'm your God. Now listen to this just for a moment. These other gods are not our gods. What are the gods of our nation? What are the gods of America? Think about it for a minute. And there are lots of things that we could say. Entertainment is a God in America. It's not my God. Sports is a God in America. But it's not my God. Sex is a God in America. It's not my God. Music is a God in America. But it's not my God. I want you to understand, we have to realize that our culture, our culture, actually our culture has made itself a God even. But our culture is worshiping something different than we are. Our culture really, in this day and age, worships humanism. They've made man at the top. Man is the God. But I want you to know, God, as he spoke to the children of Israel and said that I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Abraham. 
Isaac, I am the God of Jacob. He is speaking to us today. He is saying, you don't have anything to do with those other gods because they are not the God who brought you out. They are not the God who's bringing you out. They are not the God who's delivering you. They are not the God who is in a generational relationship with you. They are not the gods that are able to part the Red Sea. They are not the gods that are able to heal you when you're, you when you're sick. They are not the gods that will deliver your children from drugs or from alcohol. I'm telling you that the God that we serve is greater than any other God in this world and we can trust him and we can believe him and he's worthy of our praise we should know that all roads don't lead to God some would say that some within the church would even say that nowadays but it's not true our children our youth our young adults must know that Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No other way. There's no other way. There's no other way. i got another point I want to bring to you. This was powerful. And it's good. And it's joyous. How many of you have your kids or your grandkids with you this morning? If you do, just raise your hands up. How many of you have that, put your hands down. How many of you that are here that don't have your kids or grandkids with you have kids or grandkids that you've told about Jesus Christ? Okay, look around at that, that group too. This whole church is full of people who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and have, and have told their children about him I want you to understand something God being a generational God God being a relational God let me say it the way I said it a minute ago God being a generational relational God he wants the next generation to have every bit of him that the previous generation had now I'll just tell you that my generation I'm 52. My generation has not seen the move of God that some of you who are older than that have seen. When I was young, I saw a move of God. Until I was nine years old, I lived in Xenia, Ohio. We went to First Pentecostal Church, Pastor Bruce Brooks. And we saw a move of God there. I didn't know it was a move of God. I thought it was normal. I thought it was what church was all about. We would see when the altars were opened. And I'm not trying to convict you or condemn you this morning. I'm not, I promise that I'm not. I'm not trying. But we would see that when the altars were opened, the people of God, they could not stay in their seats because the power of God was drawing them. And they would fill the altars and the altars would be so full, it would spill back into the aisles, almost maybe at least a third of the way down the aisles. Every aisle had people praying. And they would seek the Lord until sometimes the wee hours of the morning. Some of them would stay. And I'm not telling you that's the way it has to look or that's what it must look like. But I'm telling you, I experienced a move of God. I gave my heart to the Lord in a move of God. And I followed Him and I was filled with His Spirit in a move of God. And I remember praying and I remember seeking Him right among that crowd. And I remember seeing other kids and I was one of the youngest. And I was seeking Him and I was, I was pursuing Him and I thought that it was 
what we should do. It was normal because I had never seen anything else. And I'm, I'm very saddened that my children haven't seen the people of God that are so hungry that they can't wait for the altar call to get up and pray. Will you say, I'm already right with God. It's not just about being right with God. It's not just about you, church. It's about our lost loved ones. It's about a dying world. It's about getting closer to Him so that we might be able to stand in the evil day. God has so much more, so much more than we have experienced. People were giving their hearts to the Lord and they were being baptized. They were being filled with the Spirit. They were hungry for more. And they had to work the next day. Ten o'clock would come. I understand if you don't just drag a service out and if, if you're just trying to see how late you can stay, it's a waste of time. But when God's presence is so strong in a house that you don't want to leave, you stay. And if the presence of God is still moving when you leave, what I remember was we would invite people to our house and we just keep on praising Him. And I remember going to sleep in the floors. I've got a, P- a Pentecostal background, so y'all should know this. I woke up one, probably one o'clock in the morning, and somebody was dancing down the hallway and they stepped right across me and kept going they were dancing in the spirit they were full of the joy of God this is what we would do we would leave the house of God and we would go and we would continue to praise him sometimes we go to the restaurant sometimes we go to one another's house and and the adults would have coffee and us kids would end up falling asleep but I want you to know I didn't have to miss the next day because I'd been up too late dad didn't miss work we continued to pursue him and to praise him and we couldn't wait till we got into the house of the Lord again the next day the next time I'm telling you this because I have seen some things that I want you to experience and if you hadn't experienced those things I'm telling you there's more of God than we have ever seen in our lifetimes and I want my children to have it it's not about the shout it's not about the dance it's not about those things it's about the fullness of the spirit of God it's about knowing him in a personal generational relational way I want my kids to say When I'm gone, if time stands, I want my kids to be able to say, I saw my daddy pray. I saw my daddy study the Word of God. We very often, give you an example, we very often would say, Dad, what what are we going to do today? And he'd say, I've got to study today. It'd be a Saturday, maybe, and he was putting finishing touches on his message. That's my dad. My girls have that same testimony. I don't do much on Saturdays. Just go after God. I don't spend a lot of time doing anything else. Actually, sometimes I I wish I had more time on Saturdays, but I do love pursuing God. But I want my kids to be able to remember that I was after God. I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because I love Him. I'm pastoring this church because I love Him and this is where He's placed me. I'm I'm, I'm doing it because of my relationship with Him. But I want this relationship not to just be my generation. I want this relationship to carry on. I want my kids to see the passion that I have for God. And I want them to example it to my grandchildren who don't even exist yet. My father-in-law the other day, Tracy's stepdad, he said... Jerry, I got a question for you. He's not a believer. He said, who gets the credit 
for these girls being such good girls. And I said, oh, that'd be me. I was joking, of course. And I told him that we have both, we have both done our very best with these girls. We've done our very best. But I want to, I've thought about, a lot more about it. He put me on the spot. If I had it to say it over, I would say it t- totally different. But I want you to understand that I come from a line of people who have passionately pursued God for generations. And I'm not about to stop. I'm not about to stop. Last week, I've enjoyed this week too, but last week when Lindsay was leading worship and Lauren was there helping her, my my daughter Lauren was there helping her, and Lauren Class was up here, and Stephen was here, and Christian Brooks was here, and and also Jack Moncayo was here, and, and, and John was on the stage, but he was the old man. He was sitting in the back. When I saw that young group of people passionately pursuing God, I've watched that several times this week, and my heart has overflowed with joy because we're teaching them to go after God. And God is not just for my generation. God is for this generation that's lost. God is for this generation that's hooked on drugs. God is for this generation that's hooked on pornography. God wants to realize he wants to realize his vision of seeing the whole world come to him through Jesus Christ and only that will happen if we his church will stand up and be who we've been called to be. God has a vision of shaking Mansfield. He has a vision of shaking Mansfield. We've not seen anything compared to what God wants to do. God wants to see every church house in Mansfield overflowing as people are chasing after the presence of the Most High God. He wants to see those come to the Lord who've been walking a cold and a far off and to renew their relationship with Him. He wants to see our sons and our daughters who know the truth but aren't living it. He wants to see them completely yield to their faith in Jesus Christ and trust Him for not only eternal life but for everything, every breath, every little bit of life that they have. He wants to see that. God wants to see Mansfield, the churches in Mansfield become so unified and we don't have to have everything the same in our doctrine, but become so unified under the banner of Jesus Christ that the world sees us coming and they say, that's the church. That's the church. Is it abundant life? No, it's the church. Is it the, is it the Methodist? No, it's the church. Is it the Baptist? No, it's the church. I'm telling you, we are called to be a people that have a relational and a generational message. I don't know what I'm, what I'm saying right now, if it's reaching you like I want it to reach you or not. Preaching with all that's within me, and I know some of it doesn't really, it, it's not really coming out the way I want to say it. But I believe God's speaking to your heart. Is God speaking to your heart this morning? Here's what I wanted to say. I don't think I've even said it. The promises of God. The Bible says they're yea and amen. The promises of God are not just for me. The promise of God was not just for Abraham. The promise of God was for Abraham, for Isaac, for Jacob. The promise of God is generational. The blessing 
of God is generational. The blessing and the favor on my life, and I've had people say, I've never seen anybody as lucky as you. It's not luck. It's the favor of God. I didn't realize it years ago. I thought I was lucky. There's no such thing as luck. But there is favor. And the favor of God that rests upon me, it came to me, I believe, as a generational blessing. The favor of God that's upon me was upon my family. It was upon the generation before me, still is. It was upon the generation before that. My grandpa, who was a Pentecostal preacher, loved the Lord. And he would travel and he would preach. And he would go places where they would surprise him a little bit with their doctrine. He went into a church one time and they handled snakes. He didn't know it. And he went in there and somebody handed him a snake. So he just handed it right on off to the next person. I would have left. But he preached that night. He preached the truth. My grandma, who died at 101, she gave her heart to the Lord when she was a young girl. She exampled the Lord Jesus before about four, maybe five generations. I want us to understand that God wants us to pass our faith on, but not just some stale knowledge of Him. Our passionate relationship of love for Jesus Christ. And the blessing and the favor that's upon the generation before can be dealt to us. The Word of God says that He has mercy to those who fear Him to a thousand generations. He says He'll visit the sins of the Father to the second and third generation, I believe it is. But His mercy is to a thousand generations. I've done the math. I'm one of those people that think, try to think everything through and I can't figure it all out, but I've done the math and we've not seen a thousand generations yet from creation. We've not seen a thousand generations yet. God's mercy is beyond anything that we've even seen. It's beyond it. God's favor. If you walk in any anointing, if you walk in any favor, I believe with all my heart God's favor and God's blessing is upon you and it can be transferred to the next generation. They don't have to accept it. They don't have to accept it. Because this is a personal relationship with the Lord. I'm telling you that it's relational and it's, that it's generational, but that doesn't, make, that doesn't make it have to be that my daughters will receive Jesus Christ or His favor or His blessing. They have to choose Him for themselves. But if they want what I've got, or what my papa had, or what my daddy had, or what my mama had, what my mommy had, they can have it. And I'll go a step further. They can have more. They can have more. Young people, I don't know what you've seen out of us. I don't know, kids. I don't know what you've seen. If, if you've seen us as passionately pursuing God, I hope you have. I don't know what you've seen out of us as your parents and as your grandparents, but let me tell you, 
there's more than what you've experienced. There's more than what you've witnessed. There's more than what I have seen. And this same God, who is a relational God, is a generational God. And He is after you. He's after your heart. Kids, God's after you. He wants, he wants to know you. That's not a scary thing. That's a good thing. He wants to know you, young people. He wants you to know Him like your mom and dad never did, like your grandpa, grandma never did. He wants to take you beyond that. He wants to take you beyond the outer courts into the holiest place. The holy of holies, and right on into the holiest place. That's the God that we serve. Now, this generation is in much need of a Savior. This generation is in much need of hope. We have the words of eternal life in Jesus Christ. This generational God, this relational God, He's willing and He's ready to forgive and to redeem. And I'll say it, I said it once, but God's not looking to beat us down. He's looking to forgive us. If you grew up like I did, you might have thought that God was looking to punish you if you failed. I believe in holiness. But God's not looking to punish you. Like a loving father, he's looking to bless you. That's what he wants. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to know him for who he is and how good he is. And he's not looking to punish you. Sure, sometimes he has to punish us. The Bible says that he loves those he chastens. He doesn't punish us to hurt us. He's trying to teach us. God wants to bless you. He wants his favor to be upon your life. He wants his blessing to be upon your life. He wants you to be full of his joy. We struggle so much with joy today because this world is just overwhelming. But the joy of the Lord is our strength and God wants to fill you with his joy so that you can be strong. He wants your children to have joy. If I'm not full of joy, if I sit around and never have any joy in my life, my kids are going to try to find another place to find joy because they're not seeing it in me. I'm talking about a generational, relational God. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's word, please go to AbundantLifeTabernacle.com or subscribe on iTunes.